Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers Now. And we will tell you that guests on the show receive gift certificates from Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie, Brendan, and the staff at Roos Chris at Oilers Now. Uh, sent you. And our next guest in studio, uh, former NHLer, longtime uh, broadcaster for the Washington Capitals, Alan May, is a living testamentalist. You actually had to come into studio to collect your Roos Chris gift certificates there at Evans. Actually, I gave you one at the racetrack about four years ago, the Canadian Derby. Did I see it? I, I think you did, yeah. but I didn't come here just specifically to get that. Uh, I, just, I, I, I just answered yes to a request to come inside. I'm more than happy to be here. Yeah, uh, thanks for doing the show here. Hey, uh, so... It, it, it's kind of a, you know what, we, we as I mentioned off air, we, we did an uh, interview this morning with Wayne Gretzky. And I know you've had the chance to interview Wayne before you were on the ice with him way back in the day. Um, how did he, you know, like you're a, you're a fourth-line guy, but you had a role, and he respected what you guys did. But I, when I bring up the name of Wayne Gretzky, I mean, you're, you're an Edmonton guy. What do you, th- what do you think of uh, maybe educate our listeners on your experiences with Wayne? Well, you know, at first, uh, as a kid, when he came to the Oilers and the World Hockey Association, my dad went out and bought tickets. He told me that day the Oilers will be in the National Hockey League next year because of this kid is the greatest hockey player that's ever lived. I don't know how my dad knew so much about him. I guess that's hanging out in the old point after with West Montgomery and the guys and <laughs> you know, day, yeah. all the old sports guys, but he went out and bought all these season tickets for our family and uh, extended family, a, a bunch of my uncles and that, and I think 13 total. And uh, he didn't pay, for, you know, he, he bought them all, but everyone reimbursed. But, you know, to see Wayne uh, those first years, it, it was absolutely amazing. I was there the night he signed his lifetime contract, that really bad deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I just to see his competitive nature uh, playing, I was there the night he scored 50 and 39. He scored his five goals. Uh, we had season tickets, so uh, all of that. And then when I finally was traded to the Oilers, to he's the first guy waiting in the dressing room to meet me, and he knew everything about us. He was a, he's a, loves the game of hockey. He knows who every guy is that plays the game. And years later, uh, hanging out after a game in San Antonio, Texas, of all places, we had a Dallas Stars-LA Kings preseason game with like 28,000 fans in the Alamo Dome. And... He said, meet me after, and we stayed in a bar till about 4 or 5 a.m. And that was clo- supposed to be closed at 2, and the bartender goes, I don't know who that guy is, but the bar doesn't close till you guys leave, and we we're getting locked out the next day. So we got to stay there, and he's just always been the most gracious guy. He loves the game. He loves all the players. He's treated everyone with an absolute incredible amount of respect, and I tell all the guys that have never met him, he knows who you are. And he'll walk up, and guys will call me, you wouldn't believe. He walked up to me. Wayne walked up to me and talked to me. And it's the same with Mac T and Kevin Lowe and all those great Oiler players, Glenn Anderson, Messier. They know who everyone is in the game. Yeah. And, and they, they're, they, they were great because they loved the game. Yeah, even on the periphery, like even in a support role as a team broadcaster or something like that. Sorry, you said you're, they're getting locked up. So was that like the 94-95 one? 94-95 lockout. I, I remember seeing the gen, our general manager, Coach Bob Ganey, on the elevator in the morning. He goes, yeah, another great training camp. And three hours later, we had a meeting in the dressing room. You guys are locked out. Grab all your equipment. You're not allowed to back in. And that was it for a while. 
Uh, and you you had established yourself as an NHL player, but you're trying to stay you're trying to stay in the league at that stage. Well, right? they didn't like anyone playing in their 30s back then. You had to be one of the, the great players. So I thought my best hockey was played my last years. Yeah. And it and you're, you're a smarter player. Our conditioning was better. That's when the personal training and the off ice stuff really started. To, the team started to get better at it. I always did it on my own. Yeah. And I used to you know pay guys to train with in California or wherever I had to go to train with guys and. All of a sudden, you know, you're trying to stay in the league, but no matter what, you got to 30, 31, 32, they're looking at you, and you have one bad shift, and it's like you're all of a sudden you're too old. Yeah. Al May in studio. We're going to run the Wayne Gretzky interview next Wednesday. Brendan's going to have a show for you. Uh, it's going to be – it's close to an hour-long interview, so it's going to take about an hour and a half of real time. Uh, and he, I asked him about Connor McDavid. And, uh, you know, the pressures of being a Conor McDavid because Wayne could relate to it. And, you know, the Oilers won five years into the league, in, into the National Hockey League, and Connor is going into year five this year. And Wayne brought up Steve Eisman. And people forget this about Steve Eisman. Like, they forget, look, he, he was drafted by Detroit in 83, and he was a great player, maybe the third best center in the league, but, well, Maybe the fourth, because I'd say that Messier uh, joined Gretzky and Lemieux, but he was one of you know one of the best players in the world. And you know there was a time in like '91, '92, people were like this guy doesn't have it. He can't lead. He can't get the Red Wings over the top. And they finally win their first Stanley Cup in what 1990? What was it? '96 for no '97 for Detroit. Well, you look at those And you have Ovechkin. You have Ovechkin. And it took him 13 years. And all these guys, the the problem with social media nowadays and the fact that our mainstream reporters also have to put out content all day long, it ends up being, by and large, it's negative. And I I joke around that I get visual cancer when I look at Twitter. And what they say about a lot of the players, it's so unfair. If I were a player, but, you know, this is the day and age. Everyone has social media accounts, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, you name it, Facebook. And there's a lot of negativity in there, and it just beats the players down. So a player like Connor, to see how many people rip on him, I think it's so unfair because every time I watch him, and I still love to stay up late and watch Oilers games out on the East Coast, he wows me every single game. And he's so much better than most of the team that he's kind of got to slow his game down at times. So there's more of a puck support system, but he can turn a game around and he is absolutely phenomenal. It will take a while. You have to have a team, a complete team. And when I say complete team, you have to have the right general manager. All of the coaches matter, not the video coach matters, the head coach, the, the defense coach, who's in charge. of sp- All of that matters. And then having the right forwards, the right D, the right goaltending duo, it all matters. Right to the strength coaches. I, I think you have to have the perfect storm to win a cup. Yeah, well, and there's hey, it's there's more teams like you know there was well, 21 teams back in the day, and now we're up to 32 in a couple of years from now. Al May joining us. You were telling me off air somebody was criticizing McDavid for only being plus two or plus three, and uh, that, that's sort of a pet peeve of yours in terms of how it uh, plus minus specifically penalizes the really good players. It does because the players that play the most, and when you don't have a complete roster, you have to put more minutes on your top defensive duo, your top six forwards. And, and and usually in those teams that are in the bottom third, those guys have a tough time with the plus minus, like trying to stay ahead of it because you're getting so much empty net goals. You're not getting support scoring. So you're always chasing games. So you have to open up, be a little more risky to win games. And it's funny, Ovi gets the green jacket one year for having the highest minus. And I remember so many people that never played the game that work in media ripped him apart. And I think because he's a Russian, they were ripping up apart because there is there is a bias there. Absolutely. And then Barry Trotz comes to town, and it's not just Ovi. Every single player in the Capitals was finally taught how to play defense. Rather than some guys saying, we need to play better defense, all of a sudden you have a coach and a pl- complete coaching staff, a great goaltending coach, a great defensive coach, Todd Reardon, who's now the head coach. But this entire group, Lane Lambert, Barry Trotz, they started to show the guys all the little nuances and details of being a great defender when you don't have the puck. And everyone's making a big deal. Ovi finally had a buy-in. How about he and every player on that team finally had a coaching staff that showed everyone how to do things in unison, not just where to stand, but stick positioning, the way you point your toes and the coverage in a corner, blocking out posts, getting back to one foot further, closer towards the net. All those things really matter, but you have to have an entire roster to be able to do that. But getting back to the plus-minus, I I hear a wrist... uh, Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo, he's had some really bad plus-minus years. I would take him on my team. Any team in the league would take that guy 
and he's had a bad plus-minus, but they've had a lot of bad coaching. They've had a lot of bad rosters with a lot of players that shouldn't be in the league, and he's their best defenseman. And I see him all the time. He is a physical specimen. He still gets 40 points a season. And it's not like they, he's passing the puck up to Connor and players like that. He doesn't have Ovi to give the puck to. And he's done a really good job. So uh, plus minus, I think, is very overrated. If you have a guy that's a dog and there's minuses there, you know. But most guys work work their asses off to be good players. Yeah, Al May joining us. Well, it's interesting with Ristolainen because the Sabres have traded in, in the last eight months. Uh, for Brandon Montour and for Colin Miller, right? So they got the two right shot. I'm, I'm missed. They got another guy. That's the right shot. Zach Bogosian. Zach, yeah, always injured. Always injured. Big physical guy as well. It's uh, 12:43 in Edmonton. We're going to take a timeout. Elmay in studio. Uh, we'll get to some of his uh, legendary scrapping stories, but you know what? He likes to talk about skill too. And I'm going to put him on the spot here, but I'm going to give him a, a, a second to think about it. How many points would Connor McDavid have scored? In 1991-92, the highest scoring, uh, we had a couple 70 goal scorers that year. You'll have a second to think about that, and I just need to make a correction. Uh, I said Nugent Hopkins was the, so Hausen was fired in the 12-13 year, the lockout year by Columbus. And I said the Oilers only had one player off that team still with the team. Technically, they have two in the organization because Clefbaum was drafted in 2011, like Nugent Hopkins. Sam Gagne returned to the Oilers, but second to her duty. And just think about that. Scott was in Columbus. He traded for Bobrovsky. He drafted both Murray and Savard. They're still there. He drafted Atkinson. He drafted Anderson. Uh, I love Josh Anderson. I'll get your thoughts on him in a second. He made the trade that brought in Felino, their team captain. They still have Dubinsky there as well. And, oh, by the way, a uh, couple other. I mean, he drafted Johansson that turned into uh, Seth Jones as well. So interesting, interesting stuff. This is Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. Bob Stoffer with you along with Brendan Escott. We have a longtime NHL player, Alan May, in studio. This is Oilers Now. Al works on the Washington Capitals broadcast. Brendan, how quickly do you have to get those uh, podcasts up each and every day? Because you hear about it if you don't. Oh, absolutely. Every uh, 20 minutes after we're done. Okay, so uh, numbers are very competitive. Uh, Chorus has got roughly 40 stations across the country. We're doing okay. I, I like where we're slotted in terms of our, uh, our podcast hits. So special thanks to all of you that log in that way here to listen to our show. All right, I put you on the spot there. Al, how many points? So same. So let's go back to 91-92 because you're playing with the Capitals at that time in the league. Uh, goaltending equipment of that time. If you took Connor McDavid with his speed and skill, and let's say he was on an average team, how many points would he get in a season? He'd be like Howard Chuck season. I, I think it would be 100, 180 points f- for sure. Uh, he'd be in the 200s if he had more of a killer instinct when it came to shooting the puck. I think one of the things that I could criticize him, not, it'd be constructively, would be, I want you to shoot more. I want you to zing it as many times as you can. When we look back at Wayne, I remember him cutting across the blue line, which is a no-no now in the offensive zone, yeah. and shooting back across the glove. A lefty shooting back across the glove. I, I left Yeah, and, and he used to nail it and make goalies look so bad. And a lot of stand-up goalies back then, uh, it was a lot different. With Connor Speed, it would be look like Bobby Orr back in the day, yeah. just skating around a bunch of guys that couldn't turn. And Bobby used to look like he was going to slow motion, but he was still fast and smooth and coffee-like in the skating ability. But he just turnstiled every single player in the league, and I think Connor would be doing the same thing. You know, it's funny. There's an old scene, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And one of my first cognitive, cognitive memories of watching Bobby play against the Montreal Canadiens in the 71 series, I was five, Al, watching the game with my dad. And the Bruins blew a 5-1 home ice game and lost the game 7-5. And Bobby Orr was minus 5 in that game. And I mean directly responsible for like two giveaways on goals. And then he got walked on another This is Bobby Orr we're talking about here, right? And I mean, hey, we, all, we got ripped off because we didn't get to see him play long enough. On that note, I'm going to ask you about a guy that you played against, that you had to think about, and would have no problem checking down with you. How good was Eric Lindros? Eric was too bad he got injured. He didn't protect himself well enough back in the day. He he created most of his concussions by putting himself in bad situations. But had he been a little more vicious, 
he'd be one of the best players that ever played the game. He was unstoppable for a while. There, I don't think there was any big player, Ovi included, that could skate like that, handle the puck, shoot, everything, the whole package, the hitting, even when he got into fights. And he played the game. He played with a lot of passion. He was fired up. I, I don't ever remember watching playing against my teams or, or you know watching the television of him playing against someone else where I didn't think you needed more out of him because he he worked as he worked as hard as he could every single game. He was a, a specimen and the career just didn't last long enough on the health department. You don't you said you didn't think he was vicious enough. No, I I thought, you know, he used to keep his this kind of a technical thing. Right. We, like remember, Mark Messier knew how to protect well, us. Well, my my dad is uh not the tallest guy in the world, but he, he is about as courageous as they come. And when I was a kid about 6 years old, I got decked in a hockey game back when there was hitting in youth hockey and I got a kid pancaked me, and my dad gave it to me for not having my stick and my elbows up, you know, to get him up and protect your face with with, with your elbow and your stick. And, I, and Lindros used to hold his hands too close together, almost like he's holding a golf club. If you go back and look on YouTube yeah. oh, and yeah. scoring, he held his hands were side by side. He couldn't protect his face. Now, Scott Stevens, that game in 1999 or 2000, the 2000 playoffs, Scott Stevens knocks him out cold. But he's punch drunk by then. He's already had four but, or five. But the thing is, he is punch drunk. But what he should have done, in my opinion... Is cross-check him in the face? Is cr- had his stick up and broke it over the shoulder of Scott Stevens. I used to do it to Brian Marchment, players like that, Darius Kasparitis. Scott Stevens tried doing that to me, and I dropped him. And you you had to keep protect yourself. You had to have your elbows and arms up. There were less concussions back then. And then when the players started to play with this four-minute minor thing, they started to get too carried away, but they were still they were making themselves too prone. They were prone to be hit high and not protect themselves. And I think if Eric would have taught a few guys a lesson the way Dale Hunter used to do it, he might have had played as many games as Dale Hunter, and might have had, he would have probably doubled Dale Hunter in point totals. But Dale Hunter made sure no one took advantage of him. You got him once, it was never going to happen again. Dale Hunter, Brendan, can you just pull up uh, the final point totals and penalty minute total? I think he's, did he get to 1,000 points in his NHL career? I, I honestly can't. I just I know three, se- second all-time in penalty minutes. He's and, over 3,000 minutes, right? And and some of those, they they were, uh, what do they call, uh, I, I forget what they call, the, those stage fights. I think some of his susp- suspensions were staged because I remember one time in a game plan in Philadelphia, he told me, he, st- he said, stay within 15, 20 feet of me this entire shift something's going down. I go, what? He turned, and his face was swollen. One side was almost double the other from taking a butt end in the face in a face-off circle. And he goes, someone's going to pay. He goes, I'm starting to lose respect in the game. Guys are, think they can do this. So 10 seconds into our shift, he he elbow smashes uh, Gord, was it Gord Murphy? Gord, yeah, the defense. And then we, yeah, and then we end up having 200-minute game, a 300-minute game, a 350, like every game after that. It was a Flyers Capitals, you know, set a new NHL record for penalty minutes in a game. But Hunts Hunts did that intentionally to to make guys think you don't think you can get away with doing things. I mean, the rest of the year after his little three game suspension, which would now be a twenty, the rest of the year no one went near him. What would he have gotten for Turgeon today? The Turgeon thing, I, he'd have to get you know forty, I, maybe a season, because that even when I looked at, it, I was shaking my head. I, I, I can't, and it's a playoff game. Yeah, and. So what did he get back then? 23 games, some ridiculous yeah, number. Yeah, and he ended up, I, I think now it would be a minimum of 40 games, but I, I could easily see a season on that. And I love the guy, but that one, it, it was hard to... It, you were on the bench, right? Yeah. I, yeah were, you think, were, you, were you thinking, oh boy? Nah, not even. I just had to shake my head at that one. All I know is that we had death threats in the hotel and the rest of the playoff series. You're, you're kind of sitting a little lower on the bus because how many people... This happened, you know, it was coming in left and right, and you're in New York. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the gamblers weren't too happy. The guys that do all the, the illegal betting and, the, you know, the bookies, everyone that, that goes. That doesn't that. happen. Come on. Uh, it, we're talking New York City, and there's a lot of money on the line in those playoff games. Yeah. And, you know, they, we took out their best player, or, or Dale took out their best player. I had nothing to do with it, but it, the penalty minutes were sure up after that one. And it may have cost, ultimately, it may have cost the Islanders against the Canadians in the next round, right? No. Oh, because he was flying. And that Islanders team was well coached. They had Sorry, a great they, roster. Didn't they? Wait a sec here. Did that happen? Did you guys, did they play Pittsburgh before? They uh, played Pittsburgh after us. That was the right. Kevin Stevens series where Kevin Stevens was knocked unconscious it and had all fell, the surgeries. He yeah. fell on his face, hit the he ice. He did the triple tap. He did hit the board's face first and then hit the ice, I think, bounced and hit it twice. And they t- they carted him off. Like he, his, his, eye, his eyebrows were down around uh, his mouth. That's how bad his face was broken. He, he lost, there was two teams of surgeons. I think it was close to 12 hours of surgeries 
where they had to go in there and rebuild everything. And he looks like a completely different person after that. And his life kind of downward spiraled after that. Yeah, injury, never really got injury. over it. Yeah, absolutely. Al May in studio. Brendan, what do you got for Dale Hunter? Uh, goals, assists, and penalty minutes. 323 goals, 697 assists for 1,020 points, 3,565 penalty minutes, and that's all in the regular season. Only player in NHL history to have 1,000 points and 3,000 penalty minutes in here. I mean, uh, 3,000 penalty minutes in his career. I mean, that's... Hey, Leon Dreisaitl last year, the only guy in the league to have 50 goals and 100 points. Ovi got 50, but he didn't get to 100 points. And you know what? They're playing Calgary. I know you were watching the last game of the year, and Leon had a chance for an empty netter. And I, who was it? Was it Giordano? That's Giordano. He doesn't ever give up on any play. But Leon tried to flip it over him, and it got knocked down. Uh, so, yeah, different, uh, no question, different time. Uh, McDavid, I personally think what, I mean, the speed's just, it's obscene. It's ridiculous. So it, to me, it's Bobby Orlick when you watch it, when he's able to turn cell. And every player in the game, I'd say 95% of the players in the league are above average skaters, excellent skaters compared to what they were back in the day. And it, it's completely different now. There's a lot of guys that think too much, that don't do enough, that don't get on the board. But I think the, the the skill level in the National Hockey League right now is so so elite, and he is the best forward skater in the game. He's the rocket up front. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch. Twelve fifty four in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer and Al May uh, with you. So you mentioned your father a couple times, uh, giving you some advice along the way, and uh, you talk about getting that stick up. Mark Messier, there was a guy. I mean, you take just think about what happened in the eighty four Canada Cup with Vladimir Kobin. I remember the Russian tough guy. And Messier cross-checked him, you know, just destroyed him with a hit, and the guy's leaking all over the ice. You know, there's at least 15 to 20 incidents where, you know, Messier did stuff, and you're just like... like if I, I remember a playoff game against the Calgary Flames back before... I think the Oilers had already won a cup, and it may have been the Steve Smith year where he had the unfortunate yeah, shot yeah. off the back of Grand Fear. But I, I think that year it, there was a line brawl, and Glenn Anderson took down Jamie McCown, which was unbelievable. But mm-hmm. Messier laid a beating on Joel Otto. Yeah, that was 80. Joel Otto I played with, and I played with Mark. And Joel Otto looked really big on the ice. But when you saw him in the dressing room, he was just a coat hanger. Yeah. And then when you saw Mess in the dressing room, this guy was jacked. His physique was probably the best in the NHL. I'd say he and Scott Stevens. There was not. I had never seen anything like that. Now most of the well, even the players now because the players back then had way bigger shoulders and right. And now they're built a lot more like tennis players with the big ass. And, yeah. And uh, it, it's mess was something else. People and then there was an anger in him. He was brought up to be. There was a dark place in him from playing junior hockey at 14 and having a dad that was a former pro hockey player. Yeah. And the way the Messier brand of hockey was played. And mess took that and he knew how to he knew how to channel energy and go to war. Even, I, I'm thinking when Joel Otto went to Philadelphia and Mark was in New York, so this was like, because I know they fought in the 86 playoffs and Messier did a number on him, but I think this would have been, I think it was 93-94 or 94-95 because I was watching it at uh, Moe's Sports Parlor, but Messier grabbed, uh, it was definitely Rangers Flyers, and Messier grabbed Otto and just beat the living snot. Well, when you hate someone, you hate them for your entire career. Yeah. And it, you, do, you don't forget that. You remember all the jabs and the cross-checks in the back and, you just back then you had an elephant-like memory, and you went after anyone. And you just remember the time in the AHL the guy might have hit you from behind. You're going to get him back, or you're going to wait, and you're going to get him back at some point. We're talking to Al Mays joining us in studio. I will get to some of your texts in our Heartland Ford text line. Uh, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Six thirty, Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex, service for all brands of print equipment in your office. Yeah, Digitex does that. D i g i t e x dot c a on Oilers Radio. Six. 30, it's 105 at Edmonton, hour number two of Oilers Now, brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. Buy or lease your next office network printer from the Digitex.ca e-commerce store. No need to spend your valuable time meeting door-to-door sales reps. Digitex is your all-in-one convenient location, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology, software, IT, and supplies. In studio, a uh, longtime Capitals broadcaster. How long have you been doing the games now, Al May? This will be my 11th season okay. coming up. Yep. So I'm going in year 12 with the Oilers, and... And uh, you got one more cup than me. And how many times have they missed the playoffs? Just once during during the time you've been there? Yeah, it was one awful, disgusting year. And the easy, weakest defensive team, the least physical team, the worst defense, everything was awful about it. And you bring in Barry Trotz, and it was four good, great years. And then last year under Todd Reardon was another great year. 
So just a regime change and a, and a process of thinking that became way better than it had in all those other years. So are you the toughest guy on the plane when you travel, or is that Brian McClellan? You know what? The, Mac, if you woke him up, could destroy anyone in the league back when he played. You know, I was an everyday. He, he was one, that one day a month you wouldn't want to tangle with him. Well, uh, Oilers have brought Jim Playfair back. Larry Playfair was considered in the early 80s, along with Dave Semenko. Larry Playfair was generally considered the toughest guy in the NHL, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, Brian McClellan took him apart once. I was told I was told one time with the Oilers, and I think it was Kevin Lowe that had told me, he goes, hey, there's this guy in the Stars. We're going to the Minnesota. It was New Year's Eve. And he said, there's this guy in the team, Brian McClellan. Do not do any of your BS. No cross-checks, no stick, no hitting late. Don't do any of that. No, no chirping him. And my first shift out there, I thought it was Basil McCray. I just saw the seven, and I drove, and it was him. And I drove my stick kind of in the groin a little bit. You know, we used to cut the guy off with our stick blade. and So a little bit of a spear. I get a slash for it, and I take him and just annihilate him. It was Brian. And then I get back after because Kevin has said, after he's done beating you up, he'll beat up Mac. He's going to beat up me. He'll beat up all of us. Just let him. Don't wake him up. And as soon as I got back, he goes, you idiot. What the hell were you thinking? I go, I thought it was Basil McRae. Yeah. And Basil fought. I mean, and yeah. Basil was, uh, he fought in tight, right? He fought in close. He fought however, whatever he could do. And he always had the gimmicky jerseys that would, the sleeve would disappear. Right. And, you know, the jersey might rip right off. And there was Velcro sleeve, all, all of that stuff. There was always a surprise fighting Basil. All right. Uh, you can reach us on the River Creek Resort Casino hotline at uh, one thirty-five uh, today. And Jason Laliberti, uh, Dennis and Jason Laliberti with New West Travel. Jason's uh, going to join us. Uh, we got an Oilers Now road trip, and we'll get some thoughts from uh, Al on favorite places uh, to uh, uh, travel. This text comes in on our Heartland Ford text line. Heartland Ford is out in Fort Saskatchewan. Go out and see the great Gretzky. That is Mike Gretzky, along with Griff Jarvis at Heartland Ford in Heartland RV. Oh my God, Al May is a beauty from Barhead. Well, where did not you... really. I think Barhead was the. Ho- I was born in my parents' home in Swan Hills, Alberta, and okay. Barhead was where they registered me a week later. I think my grandmother delivered me on my mom's side. Okay, there you go. I planted trees in uh, Swan Hills in 1997. Bob, I could listen to Al May's stories all day long, and I'm 49 years old, so I love the stories about the old time hockey, and it was war out there. Uh, uh, this one comes in from Lemmy, a different texter out of Edmonton. Al, uh, Bob, can you ask Al? May, uh, who had the hardest punch during his uh, playing days? The hardest punch? Well, I think Joey Kosher was the guy that everyone thought had the hardest one. Who hit hit you the hardest? uh, uh, Wendell Clark. I stepped on a stick in in a fight, and he hit me on the crown of the head on top of it, and I was about six foot two going into that fight. After it, he I was about five foot ten, and my back hurt between my shoulder blades. I'm pretty sure he compressed my spine, but that thing was a rocket. He got and I'm jump. so happy he hit me up there than in the beak because the beak would have been flattened for the rest of my life. Yeah, he 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 got the like he threw hard and early. Well, like, they all grew up in the same damn town, Kelvington, Saskatchewan. All, yeah. all those knuckleheads. Kelly Chase is from there, Barry Melrose. None of them are great skaters, but they all are the, the guys you want in your team and you want to go to war with and drink a beer with after. But let, Wendell is, you know, by far the best of the, like, I mean. You know, he was he was pure heart because the skating wasn't great, but he was he was power. Yeah. Uh, he had a hell of a wrist shot. It was, it was maybe the best in the game back when he played because he, I don't think he, he didn't even know how to take a real slap shot it was awkward looking but the wrist shot was freakish and the hits he he was just a ball of muscle and that's from farming you know the the Clark family Carrie Don Wendell they farmed all off season just like a lot of the Hunter brothers used to do the same thing and their physiques were amazing and I think the only guy that didn't have a good physique out of there was Barry Melrose because it was one of the worst bodies ever yeah, well, it's worked out for him. Yep. And worst mullets, or best mullets ever, I guess. I'm not a fan of the mullet myself. Back in the day, everyone had them. So I think Dave Semenko had the best-looking one ever on the Oilers. And, yeah. you know, you look back, all the Gretz had them, Kevin Lowe, Glenn, they all, only guy I never had one was Mess. Right. He had the wavy blonde hair. It was always a shorter, you know, it wasn't too long. Yeah, and in the end, he didn't And in the end, he didn't yeah. have his hair for too long either. All right, uh, look, we had you on briefly last week, but I want to revisit this. Milan Lucic... And James Neal. I, obviously, Oilers fans are pretty comfortable with this deal, given the fact that there's a better chance that Neal bounces back offensively. I think they both give each other's teams something they need. They need to be a lot tougher. They need to have an element of toughness. 
and, and a guy that can play the game angry, and that's Lucic. And he can go out the, there. But the, does he do it enough? You know what? There's diff- the Oilers have been kind of a disaster. And, you know, what, one one good year in the last five. And they've been kind of a disaster. Sure. And, and the players have been getting beat up from Connor on down. And I don't think any goaltender would look great here. I, I, I think with what's gone on, it's been tough. And players lose their confidence, and he he obviously lost a lot of confidence. Lucic did, yes. And but I look at you know Johnny Gaudreau has taken a lot of two handers. People have taken liberties with him. Yeah. Then you have a guy like Matthew Kachuk that is kind of a radish player, but he, he's an effective player. It's a great player. He's a terrific. Yeah, player. he is, and any team in the league would take him gladly. But they need someone to to see over those guys, and I think with a better team, Lucic is used to being on good squads. The Boston Bruins were always good when Milan was there. I think it would be a good, a good turn for him. Hopefully it works out for him. I, right. I've always liked the way he's played. I've loved his respect of the game and the former players. Uh, and then I look at James Neal. Uh, last year, that team just didn't play the right way. In my opinion, Calgary played a soft brand of hockey. They didn't bump. They didn't grind. And I think James They finished Neal, with like 100 points. I know, out. but I don't like the way they played. That's why they were out in the first round as easy as they were. It, it was too easy for... Colorado looked so fast. They were so much t- bigger and tougher. They won all the board battles. They Everything. They won every part Their of that Their defense was underrated. Like but, They had some guys that could lean on you on the back end. But there, right? the forwards could do it, too. And they and they, they they moved the puck. It wasn't just McKinnon, you know, who doesn't even look like a real human when he's playing a playoff game. You know, yeah. it, It's unbelievable how, how different his game. He's a great player, but in the playoff, he elevates. He's faster. He, he's, his shot is quicker. He, it doesn't look fair when he's out there. But I look at James Neal. You put him in the right spot, left or right wing. I think I'd prefer to see him on the right wing here. Yeah. He can get in on the forecheck. He plays, you go to hit him, he knocks you on your butt every single time. He gets to the front of the net. And if he's got someone like, whether it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins feeding him the puck, he will score. And I don't think he'll be under the gun the way he was there. I expect him to have a great preseason. I know that he's training as, training as hard as he can right now. He is a physical specimen. He's building himself up. He's got a fresh start here, and I expect him to tear it up. And I, I'm looking at him a minimum of 25 goals with the Oilers. I honestly believe a minimum of 25 goals. And he, his age might say something on the birth certificate, but he's not that old. He is. He's still got a youthful physique. He can play the game. He, he's big and strong and fast, but you need to have confidence to be an effective player in the National Hockey League, and you've got to build that up early. And I think a guy like Tip, who, who's really good at speaking to his players, communicating, I guarantee he's having a weekly phone call with James Neal, checking in on him, making him feel great about himself. Did you play or play for Tip? Both. Both. Play, I think we played together three seasons. He came and over to Washington. He from was Hartford. your center, wasn't he, at times? At times, yeah. Well, Sometimes I was the center. We both played every position there was, left wing, center, right. Wherever they needed us, we played. Okay. Uh, did you know he was going to be a coach when he was playing? 100%. With, with, of all those guys that came out of the old Hartford Whalers, he and Joel Quenville, without a doubt, and but there were so so many of those guys. But there was just something about Dave. He knew the game because he was a scrawny little, you know. He looked like a, a wet Chihuahua getting out of the shower. He, but this guy battled every game. He worked as hard as he could, and uh, he get in front of shots. An excellent penalty killer. Uh, just always thought the game. You look at he had some decent stats over the course of his time in the National Hockey League, and he's a small guy. Yeah. You know he he he's bigger now than he was back then, and he's still a small guy. Yeah. And you played for him as well. You know, they talk about analytics now. I always get a kick out of this because analytics have been around the game. It just wasn't some engineer or software engineer that came up with the name back then. It was the these coaches like Dave Tippett, when he played for me, I, I'd go into his office and he'd be in the dark and it was back when you had two VCRs yeah. and you're going tape to tape. But he was editing the games eight to ten hours a day and tracking things that you don't see the guys talking about now. He was tracking things that are still very effective in the game, which will make the Oilers better players. They'll have more defensive pride in how they play the game because it will expose who the guys are that aren't doing their work. And it doesn't matter. You've got to stop on pucks. You've got to make sure you're not the guy creating an odd man rush against. He rewards odd man rushes for. But he, he has been tracking things forever. So without a doubt, I knew he'd be a head coach in the National Hockey League. Yeah, it's interesting because a guy like Nugent Hopkins, he had a good offensive year last year. Part of it, he played left wing with Connor. So, I mean, 28 goals. I think he had 69 points. 
But he hasn't been above 46% in the face-off circle, and I wonder if Dave's going to push him differently than he's been pushed in the past because Ryan, to me, is a really... Like, if you wanted somebody to marry, and he just got married a couple weeks ago, but somebody... To, it's kind of like when John Elway was talking about Tim Tebow. We had Fred Fleming on a couple weeks ago, and, uh, you know, the, the, I'll never forget the line, John Elway, you know, when they went and traded for, uh, you know, for Peyton Manning, and somebody asked uh, about Tim Tebow, and he said, look... If I wanted a guy to marry my daughter, I'd want her to marry, uh, t- you know, uh, if I wanted to find a guy to marry my daughter, I'd want him to be Tim Tebow. I want a guy to quarterback my football team, right? And that guy's Peyton Manning, of course, the Broncos, even though Peyton wasn't that as it he's turned a, He's a computer out there. That right. knew, he knew that the arm wasn't working anymore. He knew and their defense only was a 12-yard def- bar, ball now. All right. he's hitting, he knows every route in the game. He, I love the guy. Yeah, and of course, the year though they won the Super Bowl, defense was a big part of it. But Nugent Hopkins is the type of guy you'd want to marry your daughter. I just wonder whether or not he's going to get pushed a little bit differently here under Tippett. Because he I don't ha- think he's ever been appreciated for what he brings to the game because there's been a lot of bad teams here. And, with, you know, with he, was a fir- he was a first overall guy. And, you know, draft years, some some years they're phenomenal, and, and your first overall pick is, is the best, and he's going to be a legendary player. Other years, not so much. And he's, a, just, he's a good, solid player. Can he get better in the face-off circle at 26, 27? You, you would hope that anyone could, but if there's anyone out there that knows how to do it, they'd be the wealthiest guy in hockey because it is such an important part of the game, and there's been a lot of great players, but they become coaches. They still can't teach it. So you're trying to scratch and claw to be a 50% guy is the number one thing. And you have to be aware, but you know, I just look, there's more to worry about than, you know, his face-off percentage. And you just want to make sure that the guys, the rest of the ice time, yeah. that, that they're doing all the, making all the right defensive reads, all the right, correct offensive plays in the offensive zone, just all the little plays, puck support, defensive awareness. And I think all those things matter. I think the face-off things, are generally drastically overrated because you look at a lot of the best uh, uh, guys in the faceoff circle. By the end of the season, their team's never in the finals. Uh, you can text us at 630-630. Tweet us at Oilers now. Bob Stoffer with you. Epstein's mother has texted the show. All right, you said who hit you the hardest. Who did you never get? Who was one guy you wanted to... Uh, I mean, you talked about Kachuk being a bit of a rat. You respect. Mm. Look, Matt, I, again, I'd love to have Matthew Kachuk on the orders. He's a heck of a player. Was there a guy out there in another team that you hated? That, that you well, never... I had I had three guys that the coaches gave me the green light for in Washington. I could do anything I wanted. The Pat Verbeek, Bob Erie, and Claude Loisel, and they were kind of they were always doing things. And I think the Verbeek thing is. Before the I little, to, they uh, call them the little ball of hate, right? And, yeah, and so I, I would go way out of my way after those guys to do things. But when I, when I look back, I always hated Guy Carboneau. I, I like <laughs> the player, but I always hated him. And he was just always yapping. And I did get him one time with a with an elbow, a forearm smash in front of the benches, and dropped him, and never let him hear the end of it. And you know, years later, we're having a steak dinner in Dallas, and as part of the Dallas alumni, and we're just kind of looking at him, thinking, "Man, life has changed." Because I KO'd this guy with an elbow, and you look at, but. But there were guys that you you know you could do things like that, and it w- I don't even think I got a penalty on that one. Now Bob Airy's kind of like he's a he he's smaller than me, like he's a scrawny yeah, guy, yeah. five nine, five ten, but he he was he, he knew he knew how to play the game. He was yeah. told do this, skate as hard as you can on the net, keep it on the ice if you're playing with Mario, which he did a lot of his career. Right. He he got he involved he never dropped his gloves that I can remember, but he started a lot of the the little battles he could get under teams. It, it, it was highly effective. Claude Loisel with, with New Jersey. I don't remember him being that. Uh... Oh, he, he butted him in the, in the eye in a face off oh, one okay. time, okay. and I looped around and, and caught him with a cross check. And, and I think it was the, I got a four minute minor for that one. Today and everyone goes <laughs> today it would be a bad one, but I got him good with that cross check. And you know the there, there's a certain element of the fans that were just watching hockey in the last ten years and the young and the way the game has changed. But it was a lot different back then. You could not let people take advantage of you. So you had to make sure you got your payback quick. But it didn't have. I think I think there was more respect in the game because you you had to do it your whole life. And there were some guys that were just they should have never played the game in the first place. You know they never had stats at any level. They weren't a goal scorer in youth hockey. They weren't one in junior. They weren't a playmaker. And they were meatheads. And for a while there in the late '90s, early 2000s, too many of those guys were playing the game. Uh, when you played with New West. You, who was who was uh, were you not on a pretty good line back in the day? Mark Recchi and who was my Brent Hughes? All, all yeah. of us played that. We played a, a few thousand games in the National Hockey League thanks to Mark. Yeah, <laughs> and none of us were drafted. I, I can't even remember if uh, Recchi was drafted. Maybe he was late, yeah. but he was scrawny. And uh, 
the next time I saw him, he wasn't so scrawny. And yeah. uh, but we we're a pretty good line. Yeah. So it, Brent Hughes was he was t- he was a lightweight, but he was tough, wasn't he? He could chuck. You him. know what? He did. A, I love guys that earn every day, and Brent was a guy that earned every day. And you know, no matter what level he was at, you know, I remember him playing in. Uh, the win in Moncton for I, I can't remember the name of the Moncton team back then, but it had so many different names. But there were Winnipeg's farm team. He was there on a 25 game tryout. He got another 25 game tryout, then another one, and then by the end of the year, he's playing in Winnipeg, and he was one of their most effective players. So I just love guys that that give it all they've got. And there's a lot of players that were better than Mark and myself, even Mark Recchi, uh, Brent Hughes, guys that were better than us. And I thought every one of us willed our way into playing as many games as we could. And Recchi, of course, was a great goal scorer. But he was scrawny. He back then they they weren't he, drafting he, players like him. He and could he also built, chuck them. For oh, a, but but he but he like Rob DeMaio and guys like that. Right. They earned every inch of their career, and you know they made careers for them because they they just did. You know people said you can't do this, you can't do that, and they just never listened to the naysayers. Those little guys out of Medicine Hat could chuck him. Bobby Bassin could uh, fight. And yep, he's Bob, as mild mannered off the ice as there is. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Now, one of my best friends in Dallas and. Uh, I've never heard him say a swear word. I've never heard him cuss at all. And he doesn't even get mad. To, and th- this guy would fight anyone back in the day. And, and do well. And, well, well, he'd do all right. And uh, okay. it was almost like the mercy rule if you're fighting Bob. But he just, he'd just he never back down from anyone. And yeah. he, would, he took it on himself if, you know, Bob Probert or Dave Brown or guys like that were doing He would step up ahead of other guys that should have been doing it. And uh, that's why he was so beloved by every single place that he played. Bob Stoffer, Bob Basson. Both three planners. One guy made it to the NHL. This is Oilers Now. Hi, this is Ryan and Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chet. Dan has texted the show. Hey, Stoff, what was Wayne Gretzky's face-off percentage during your I'm, I'm just saying with Nugent Hopkins. They never tracked any of that stuff back then. Yeah. That, that's the, the big difference. And if you looked at ice time, you're talking about the game that Bobby Orr was minus five. He might have played 48 minutes that game too. Yeah, you're right. Because it was they didn't track a lot of these things and and, and hits that players had and I, the, I'm sure that there were more hits back then. And the, the guys oh, that were the great faceoff guys about, might have had 80 percent in the faceoff circle. Bobby Clark, I, I don't ever remember him losing a faceoff. The guy that was really good uh, throughout the mid 2000s was Yannick Perot. He was he was like a 65 percent guy. Like he, how many Stanley Cups did he win? I don't think he won one. There, there we go. go. There we go. You know, because you hear about this, you know, with Washington, the Twitter accounts, everything blows up, and people are always complaining about the faceoffs, and they'll complain about players. And I go, well, that guy's actually fifty-one point seven in the faceoff circle, and he's never been under fifty all year. And this guy, and they'll complain about Kuznetsov, who will go seven-two-one game and, and be two and twelve the next. He, he just he doesn't think about that part of the game, yeah. but yeah. it's what you do when you win and what I, you I, lose. Well, the team has to. The part of the Oilers' problem is they're terrible in the penalty kill because they don't win enough draws it starts there all right i'm gonna ask you about a guy right now because we got a winner fans upset that i said today that i did not see kevin shat first of all kevin shattenkirk i don't think wants to play in canada let's establish that but secondly the orders have some defensemen that they want to look at including joel person i got evan bouchard coming might not be ready this year but you saw kevin shattenkirk are you surprised he's been bought out in new york no, not at all. But I love the player, and I thought when he got traded to Washington, they never played him properly. They could have, if they would have played him with Nate Schmidt, like they did the opening, the first game they had. Can you say that about anybody that was playing with Nate? Nate Schmidt's a hell of a player. No, he wasn't back then. Though. He wasn't. But, but they had a, a chemistry. But the next game, they put him third pairing with Brooks Orpik, and Brooks would pass on the puck every time. And I love the way Brooks played. But they were both slowish guys. And Kevin would get Brooks flat-footed. And, and you know, they, there just wasn't a mesh there. But Nate Schmidt played extremely well with Kevin Shattenkirk. Kevin Shattenkirk, and they didn't do it until late in the Pittsburgh series that they end up losing. But I think Shattenkirk it would help the Edmonton Oilers okay. as far as the power play. But you think that, you don't think the defense is near good enough here? No, right. not at all. I don't think they have a legitimate first-pairing player okay. right now. I don't think Darnell Nurse is a power play guy. I don't think right. the offensive instincts are there. I love a lot of what he sure. does. Clefbaum, I don't think there's enough worry about his shot. If you're another team, I said on there before, when the Oilers, uh, when we're here with the Caps playing, I said, I'd let Clefbaum have the puck all day long. Stand in front of McDavid, stand in front of Drysaddle, don't let anyone, just let Clefbaum shoot it from the point. And yeah. it, it, the shot isn't there. Larson's not a power play guy. So they have three, I, I lo- they have three, I like those second three pairing D. I, They're I all look, second pairing guys, but none of them. But are. you know what? There's nothing wrong with being, or, or maybe you're the, 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 because we have Michael Kempney in Washington, who fit in so well with John Carlson, 
Larson. So if you had the the right stud up on right or left defense, then it's Larson or Clefbaum goes with those guys. I want to see that Darnell Nurse be a second-pairing shutdown guy for the remainder of his career. All right. Al May in studio. He's going to stay with us. Jason Laliberti coming up from New West Travel. We'll talk about some of uh, Al's favorite uh, destinations. It's going to be a little bit skewed. His are out west, mine are out east. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, it's uh, 1.33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Royal Pizza. Pizza passed and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated 50 years. It's the silver anniversary. There's silver anniversary specials taking place at royalpizza.ca where they've got 14 uh, locations in Edmonton and surrounding areas. You download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store, the Stoffer recommendation, the Mediterranean chicken. And you know what? When they quote you a time for delivery and then they beat the time by 20 minutes, it's always appreciated. Oh, what, uh, we all good there? We're all good? Uh, Jason Laliberti is going to join us right now from New West Travel to talk about our Oilers Now first of our three Oilers Now roadies, but we're going to give you a little tease. It might have something to do with this song. Start spreading the news. And if you don't have a clue as to what that song I'm is, well, I today. really can't help you at that stage. But without further ado, from New West Travel, Jason Laliberti. Jason, how you doing? I'm great, Bob. How you doing today? Good. New York, New York. Uh, the orders are there in October, and New West Travel is doing the first of our three orders now, roadies, this year in New York City. It's going to be a kicker, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a great trip. This is actually our first trip back to New York in five years, so we're really excited about it. Um, we're going to have uh, two games that we're going to be going to. We're going to be going to the New Jersey Devils game and the uh, New York Ranger game at MSG, so that's always exciting. Yeah, Taylor Hall, obviously, Alme and myself are going to talk uh, about uh, Taylor a little bit later on. There is an opt-in as well to go see the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Jets. Is that correct? That's correct. On Sunday, the Jets are playing the Cowboys. And uh, if you'd like to extend your stay in New York, we could certainly handle that for you. And uh, there's also a chance to see the Islanders play the Oilers if you'd like to go on a bit early. Yeah, well, I, the Oilers have got the three. So basically they play two games at home the first week of the season, and we're off to New York City and Chicago uh, back-to-back. How good of a combination is that if you're a broadcaster? It's pretty good. So we're in. The, uh, so anyways, uh, with the Oilers now road trip, uh, it's a round-trip airfare through WestJet, four nights accommodation at the four-star Western, uh, Western Times Square, uh, it includes a hotel credit for each day uh, for food and beverages that can get applied. We're going to do at least one welcome reception. Uh, lower bowl tickets, is that correct, for the two hockey games? You got it. Lower bowl tickets for both games. And the New Jersey game is actually including club tickets, which will include a gourmet buffet dinner in New Jersey. Yeah. We got on the ice in New Jersey five years ago, I think, with the group when we wrapped up one of those uh, trips the last time we went into New York. Uh, There's obviously transportation, ground transportation, all that kind of stuff is taken care of for. Yeah, ground transportation is all included. And, uh, of course, complimentary parking at Value Park from our friends at International Airports. And uh, escorted by U.S. Travel, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, now, just just correct me if I'm wrong here. You've got yeah. the uh, U.S. Travel credit card out for because Gene Principe has just texted me and said, "Hey, <laughs> does this mean that uh, <laughs> does this mean that Jason's taking us for dinner in New York City again, like you did a, uh, five years ago?" So, well, I think I know a good steakhouse, so we might have to revisit that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is uh, we're going to do three, but this is the first one. This yep. is the launch. Um, you got a range in terms of pricing for. Single occupancy, double occupancy, and triple occupancy. I do. Uh, for double occupancy, it's uh, three thousand four hundred and fifty. Yeah. Single is four thousand seven hundred and fifty, and triple is three thousand one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a promo right now, so if you book before August fifteenth, you can save a hundred dollars off those prices. All right. So again, it's the Orders Now road trip to New York City. Jason, uh, we appreciate you taking time to join us here in Orders Now. Okay. Thanks, Bob. You bet. Yep. Get after it, and uh, you can visit uh, 
uh, newwesttravel.com or info at newwesttravel.com, uh, 780-432-7446. Al May is uh, re-engaged on the show here. Al, I have, uh, there's, I have, uh, we've gotten to know some of the people. There's actually a couple that have done 13 Oilers trips now, and I think nine through New West Travel over the, like, the last, no, more than that, I think 13 over the last eight or nine years. So we do two or three every year. Last year, we had 70 people go to uh, Germany and Sweden. One of the things that works against, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate this, that works against some of our listeners is it's farming season in the fall. And so they can't make the trips. Uh, but last year, we actually had a, a fellow last year that was blind and made the trip to listen to the fan experience in Germany and Sweden. Does that not tell you about the passion of a fan base at Edmonton? Oh, I know what the passion is like. It's I, I, it's almost like no other in the National Hockey League. It's completely different how people are so immersed in the goings-on of the Oilers, of their farm team, all the junior players that play yeah. in Western Canada at all the different levels. It, it's absolutely amazing. And for every player in the National Hockey League, you know, there's a lot of non-traditional places, and those non-traditional places are winning the Stanley Cup now. But they get up to areas like this, and the players just can't believe how it's hockey, hockey for everything, and it's a year-round thing. Well, we do a two-hour show called Oilers Now Year-Round. And, you know, like tomorrow, Brendan, were you able to uh, to book the former broadcaster of the National Predators that uh, does the Alabama Crimson Tide for me? Mr. Eli Golds? Yes, he'll be joining us on tomorrow. By the way, Dustin Penner part of my all-underrated team uh, will be making an appearance uh, on tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now, as uh, well as uh, Lorna Nicholson, who's written the definitive book on the first 40 years of the I Oilers. I saw that list. Where was Lee Fogelin? Uh, you think Lee Fogelin should have been there as one of the most underrated Oilers? I loved him. I yeah. absolutely loved that guy, and he was on all those Stanley Cup winning teams, and with not a whole lot of skill, but brought a work ethic and a ferociousness to how he played every single game, courageous, and he, his career was over, and Slats brought him in here. I believe he was the first, the second captain. I think. Yeah. It was, who was it? Was it uh, Blair, Chipperfield? Chipperfield, Blair McDonald, that that group yep. of players. Yeah. Fogey and then Gretz. Yeah. And that mess. I remember when uh, I talked about it this week. Lee Fogelin hit Lindy Ruff one night so hard, and what they used to do is Kevin would angle the forward to cross the blue line into Lee's area, and then Lee would just light. And I mean, he knocked Lindy Ruff out to next week. It was an unbelievable hit, and he could do that to you. But he was solid. He was massive. He, yeah. he, he was huge. He could do 100 push-ups with someone sitting on his back, you know, 220-pound player on his back. He could. The guy was an animal. I loved the way he played, and he was an honest hockey player. When you talk honest, yeah. and I think the biggest thing next to him would have been a guy like Jason Smith. Well, and, that's, and, and I had him yeah, on that. And I, he, he, but I look, Lee is the guy that was here for the Cups. And yeah. What did he have, eight, nine shorthanded goals in one year? Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And the guy with the shortest stick in the National Hockey League going in on breakaways out of the penalty box. And it just, just amazing yeah. uh, what he was able to do with his career. Coffee had, I think, one year Coffee had double-digit, uh, he only had like 21 or 22 shorthanded goals. But one year, I think he had 12. It was a crazy stat. Uh, by the way, uh, New Jersey, Taylor Hall, because you talked a bit about the uniqueness of Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon bullies the play around the ice, right? He's put together, but he's a really aggressive player. He attacks. Taylor's that version out east, isn't he? Well, I love the way he plays. When healthy, you, you really he had to grow up a lot in his game, and I think he fit in very well with John Hines, the coach of New Jersey, his first year there. The biggest criticism I would have of Taylor Hall is he's a little too reckless, a lot like Eric Lindros was. He doesn't protect himself enough. He drives to the middle of the net and just gets crunched way too many times. Uh-huh. And I think when he takes that part out of his game and starts to think a little bit more that he can't power through everyone. But when he came out there, I was comparing him a lot to Ovi with the, with the way that he drives every game. I, I really like the game that he's had. A lot of different players that he's had to play with here in Edmonton. A lot of rumors about him, none of which I ever believed. I so love the way I'm he plays. I love the way he plays. And he reminds me of Messier, the way he skates. It's almost the identical stride the way they would loop inside the neutral zone. It's a lot different game now. You can't do the big loops with the puck like right. you used to. Uh, you get to deal day-to-day with Alexander Ovechkin. What's he like? Absolutely phenomenal. It's like the the greatest little kid in the world in a grown man's body that is a, a freakish body. Uh, but he's a great guy. Loves the game. Always happy. Thinks like a winner. And all the assaults in the media over the year, all the rumors that I saw, How all, the thi- all the things that I saw written about him were bogus. And I just started deleting one Twitter. I'd get a Twitter from a guy. Or I'd have old guys in the buildings, old former NHL players that were reading these things as fact. And I said, 
I'm there every day. I see this guy. This guy brings it every single game. They haven't always had great coaches. They always haven't had great rosters. But the one guy that's brought it every single night, every single game, is the big man himself. Do you think the Svechnikov with Kid will challenge him again to a fight? No, and you know what? The great thing about that fight in the playoffs, and you know, they were picking on oh, the people were going after Ovi, saying that why did this old player hit a go after a young guy? I remember when I was younger, you weren't supposed to go after the old guys, and Ovi took him down with his right hand. Ovi's the lefty. That's what made that thing so remarkable, and it was, th- I think, four punches thrown total, two of which landed, and the last one, he's lucky, didn't land. The Svechnikov didn't, but I don't think he'll mess with Ovi. He was cross-checking Ovi in the back, two-handers in the back of the legs, all those games, and then uh, th- they started you know, yapping, and it doesn't matter who challenged who. They were both looking at each other, dangling their gloves, and one of them was dumb enough to drop his gloves with the 240-pound specimen. Now, do, did either guy... Do, Neither of them is overly uh, experienced in that aspect of the game. Did that play a factor in the in the position that Svechnikov put himself into, fighting that open, getting dropped like that? Well, probably, absolutely. And I would have thought, you know, if you're fighting a guy like Ovi, you'd be waiting, you'd just grab that left. And he surprised me, and I, I think I even yelled on air watching the game. I, there, they, I, I was pretty excited watching that fight because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It happened right in front of me. And it's just two very inexperienced guys. But a lot of times the best fights are the two guys that never fight they, because they just, they're throwing, they're chucking from the knees, and, and they're looking for the knockout punch. Very careless is how you get hurt. You mean like when Alex Semin fought Mark Stahl? Things like that. Yeah, that, well, that was embarrassing. That doesn't happen very much. The embarrassing. <laughs> that was like as that. embarrassing. I as saw a really bad fight. The worst fight I'd seen before that was back in the, the I think it was the Flyers' first Stanley Cup, and it was Bobby Orr and Bobby Clark had one of the the worst fights I've ever seen. It was it was like the Salmon fight itself, and it was during the finals, I believe. Yeah, uh, many people would remember Dave Schultz and Dale Rolfe as well uh, from that period. Uh, by the way, so we got this new uh, West travel. Uh, Brendan will uh, tweet out a link to it from our Oilers Now account. New West travel trip to New York. So, I, I mean, I mentioned I love going to Montreal. Don't love everything about Quebec politics, but I love going to Montreal. It's a great experience being in that building. Uh, New York's New York. Um, I will say Philadelphia is the one place. I think Pittsburgh's underrated. and has nothing to do with Jack Michaels, my partner, being the biggest. He's a, he's a you know, a Western Pennsylvania guy. He loves Pittsburgh. But he's right. It, Pittsburgh's a pretty cool city. I'm not big on Philadelphia. I gotta tell you, I don't. It's, it's Pittsburgh's a, far better to go on the road. Yeah, yeah there, it's it's more intimate downtown. The hotel's in a good location. Yeah, it, it's you don't feel like you have to worry about yourself all the time walking yeah. on the streets in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Philadelphia is a little sketchy, as you know. Um, Chicago is a tremendous city. It's an awesome. When city. I played, it was my favorite place to go on the road. Uh, and I love Montreal, and I still love Montreal. I think it's my, my favorite place to go during the season. But Chicago was always great. The downtown, for people that have never been there, is absolutely and utterly amazing. You don't want to go into a lot of the little areas of town where you're going to – it's not too, too safe, but downtown is absolutely amazing. I think they call it the Magnificent Mile yeah, with all the shopping. Awesome. The restaurants are great. It's a good-looking city when you when you see that it is part a good of the downtown. City. When you're staying in these nice hotels, very nice city. Yeah, big city, uh, big city vibe, Midwest feel. Uh, but you've got a surprise for me. One of the places the Washington Group likes to come out. We love Vancouver, and you know I, I'm looking for the things that are right. And the hotel is amazing. I love staying at the the Pacific Rim. The what is it? The P- Fairmont Pacific, Pacific that's, Rim. That's where I, lo- I love yeah. the place. I love the room. But it's, it's funny. It's one of those places you want to stay in the room, but it's too great of a city. We do we do as a group the bike ride in Stanley Park. We 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 cut we what's edit. That? Bit. What's that? What you do a bike ride like they, with, with the mountain bikes? We we do it and we camera it up and we do. We've done the seaplanes there as a group after drinking too much the night before. We've done. Oh, that never happens I, on the, the road, does the Grouse, it? The Grouse Mountain. I'm going to try to break the Sedin's record this year when we go there um, to do the Grouse Mountain climb. We do that. We do. We do a lot of the. We went to Whistler last year, and I had the guys on my broadcast crew. I shamed them all into doing the uh, what's the hang gliding thing. Uh, I forget what it's called. Where you, you hook up and you're you're on the paragliding? zip line, zip line, oh, zip line. Yeah. Okay. So I had the guys. A couple of them were really upset with me because they got shamed into doing it. And you know, you go about 80, 90 miles an hour for about a mile and a half, close to two miles on some of the zips, and it's an all-day affair. It is. It is awesome. And I'm a guy that hates roller coasters, and I absolutely love that thing. So we we did that last year. We hit Whistler while we were there. We spent a day in Whistler and had a great time. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I uh, I've been a Whistler once, but like you, I I was uh, I had a little bit too. Nashville, 
We got to talk about Nashville. Nashville is very popular for our orders now. We've done uh, two of the last three years. Gone yeah, it. it's great. The hotel's in a great location. The food is really Which good one there. Where do you guys stay at? Uh, we're, uh, God, I can't, the Thompson or something yeah, like yeah. that. We changed it. We're, we're at the Hilton across from the, uh, so that wasn't a great hotel, that Hilton. But you know what? It's right. It's right. It's only a hundred stumbles away yeah. from where, where you want to be late night. So it, it's you know, a lot of great restaurants. There's yeah. incredible music. It and is, it is Vegas. It is the second most popular travel. I'd rather go than Ve- there. I'd take Nashville over Vegas seven yeah. days a week. And uh, I'm not a gambler, yeah. uh, but uh, Nashville's just incredible. Nashville's very popular. I know that a lot of... Uh, and Dallas. And yes. Dallas, where I've lived since 1994, is... is the, pro- the problem we have in Dallas when we go there is... Uh, I'm not going to name the hotel, but I'm, I'll give you the the, the crescent in case. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't afford anything in that hotel, man. Like it's Well, all- you shouldn't eat there anyways. You just go everywhere else. You're, you're, yeah, all the greatest I, restaurants in town are there. I know. You've, you've got more. One of the best hamburgers in North America is right in your parking lot there at the Shake Shack. It's unbelievable. Uh, there, there's a lot of great little... Th- i got to start sending you texts on where to go eat all these Well, things. and we should mention, you texted and said, hey, give me some restaurants in Edmonton, so I gave yep. you a list, so there you go. And, my, and thank you for that. For my friends that came here last week thought it was everything was excellent, very highly rated. There you go. Al May joining us. We're going to get to this day in Oilers history. Bang off a couple texts. Wrap things up with Oilers now when we return. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 150 in Edmonton, quickly off to list day in Oilers history. Here's Brendan Escott. Back in 2005, Bob, the Oilers trade local product Brad Isbister to Boston for a fourth-round pick in the 2006 entry draft. Isbister came over with Rafi Torres from the Islanders and spent a year and a half in copper and blue. That draft pick they acquired turned into James Delroy. Torres was a uh, nasty piece of work, but he was an effective player. 2006 Stanley Cup Final, final three games, he was the best player in the ice in that series. He was a rock. Defensemen were terrified of Actually, anyone he was going to hit was terrified of him. He, he hit like a rock. He skated as hard as he could every shift. I always thought he was the guy that, that brought the best out of himself every game. All right. Uh, here we go. We got a ton of texts coming in. Uh, out of New West, or Bob, did Al May play with Rockstar Pub 1905 legend Dan Baker in New West? No, you got Dan cut right. You came in as a twenty, and Dan Baker got that got pulled out of New West because you arrived. I can't remember. I, I, I thought we played together. But no, I can't I've remember. talked to Dan about this before. Okay. okay? Uh, now, interesting. There's another. There's a couple other Edmonton connections, and one of the guys when you coached, we, we were talking. Doug McCarthy. You brought Doug, and Doug was like, because he did you play with him before you made it to I the played, end? I played with him in the coast when it was called the Atlantic Coast before they had to change the name. And uh, he, I think he led the league in scoring or tied for the league, and just a little water rat. Yeah. And the guy loved hockey. And <laughs> I, I just remember coming home and at the end of the, and he, I kind of hated him at the start, and then I ended up loving the guy. <laughs> and he, uh, it, it's funny, I showed up, he had two black eyes. And I guess he was in a, in a bar in town bragging about, I played with this guy this year. He could take out McSorley and all these guys. And he, I guess he pissed off the guy so bad in the bar, they, they, they took him down. But this guy went played five men's leagues at a time here in Edmonton. I think even while – and then he went to U of A after playing a year of pro. Yeah. And then uh, – well, It was unbelievable played, played over, those three yeah, years for Claire played, Drake. Yeah, played over in the British League. Forever. And, and is, he, is he the leading scorer all time at the U of A? His uh, stats were phenomenal. Yeah, he might have been per he point, and point, walking by Ash. Yeah, point yeah. per game. But you brought him after he played in Europe, like at like forty. Did you not bring him back? In a he text? was my oldest player, and I was co- we had a team in Texas, and uh, it was f- you were pheno- coach of the team, a phenomenal setup, and it, I brought him in because we had reconnected, and I think somehow through pro roller hockey, and okay. uh, which which is another thing unto itself. But I brought him in, being I I love the movie Bull Durham, so he he was like my Crash Davis guy. They show everyone how to love the game, how to work hard every day, and the guy I, he put up big points for me that year. <laughs> like a hundred points. He, my team was phenomenal, and but we had he was the guy. He was the he he showed up to work hard every day, and just like like not the biggest guy in the world, but all heart and played hurt no matter what. Unbelievable just, hand-eye coordination. Phenomenal. And, and highly competitive at everything. Yeah. At everything he does, he'd worry out. If you beat him at a game of ping pong, you'd have to play ping pong the rest of your life until he beat you. Whether it was tennis, golf, he wanted to win at everything. And you got, and, and you got to love that about the guy. But he, he's a player... 
that I think could have played in today's National Hockey League. The, the hook and hold league, I don't think he would have done so well because he only weighed about 150 pounds. But I think today's hockey, a Johnny Gaudreau type of guy. Yeah, wow. Well, that's uh, that's high praise from you indeed. Again, you can text us at 630, 6.30. Uh, can you ask uh, Al, did he ever fight Dave Brown, and how would he rate him as a fighter? Dave Brown? Yeah. Yes, I did fight him, and uh, it was... It was scary. I came out on top, and uh, it, it was it was one of my better stories. But it takes too long. We'll have to do about four or five beers over it because it scared the daylights out of me. And that, you know, back then hand. I was back then I never you know you never th- I never thought I've never thought negatively in my life about losing or right. or not being able to accomplish things. And you know, it was just part of the game. If I had to fight Dave Brown, I had to fight Dave Brown. And I just think there were there was always a way to to win a fight against certain guys. And but he was during his. I, I think he and and Proby were the two toughest guys. Other guys fought them, and they got a little notoriety. But these guys did it every night. And, and yeah. you know, one guy, a guy has a decent fight against one of them, and he's all of a sudden a superhero. But Bill you know, Hewitt, f- five fights later, they're out of the league anyways. And, yeah. and, you know, they might they might step up against these guys and have a good fight. But every night, those guys, they were terrifying. It was Bill Heard and Tony Twist. Al, thanks for coming in. So you come to Edmonton once a year. Uh, your, uh, your dad's like 80 now, right? Yeah, he's 80 this year. Will you do this next summer? If you Always, come to- yeah. And I think next year we'll have to, as soon as the kids are out of school, my daughter gets back from college, my youngest son gets out of high school, we'll probably make our trek a little bit earlier or maybe another one later in the summer. Awesome stuff. Much appreciated that you came in today. That's Alan May, longtime Washington Capitals uh, player and broadcaster. Uh, he willed himself to the National Hockey League. Tomorrow's show, we're going to have Dustin Penner, uh, who has uh, got a comedic flair. Uh, author Lorna Schultz-Nicholson. Alabama Crimson Tide play-by-play voice Eli Gold who's going to want to talk more about doing the play-by-play of the Birmingham Bulls than covering what has been a uh, absolute dynasty at the NCAA football level. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. So long everybody from Oilers Now. Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.